I've actually been praying as of late of, you know, the Lord takes all circumstances, not just the good ones, but it seems especially the hard ones and the difficult ones, and he brings good from them. He has lessons for us, for those who are listening and paying attention. So I've been asking the Lord, what are the lessons that he has for us, in particular in this time of pandemic? I think that there's perhaps some lessons we couldn't learn unless we were in this difficult place. One of those lessons is the value of community and interaction. And there's just some things in life, perhaps a lot of things in life, that are just best done in community with people, with one another. There's some things that just don't seem to work when you're by yourself. I was thinking about a couple of things. One is a hug. Have you tried to hug yourself lately? I was doing it yesterday. It lacked a little bit of chutzpah. No, I'm just kidding. But really, compared to my wife, hugging myself, yeah, not a whole lot there. How about going to a movie by yourself? Now, I know that some of you like to go to movies by yourself. That's weird, but I still love you. I tried going by myself, and I just felt like everybody was looking at me like in, in sympathy, like he doesn't have a friend to attend. How about going on vacation? I, I actually respect the, the courage uh, and the adventurousness of people that go by themselves. I've done it one time. I was in England. It was uh, for ministry, so I couldn't bring Kindra. And I'm like, I, this is a bucket list. I'm going to go see the sights by myself. And I got really tired of saying, isn't that beautiful? Hi, I'm Eric, and I'm from the state. I couldn't share that experience. A lot of the Christian faith doesn't work by ourselves. That there's a a tremendous amount in Scripture. Now, this goes contrary to much of our American spirit of independence and go it alone and do it my way, those kind of ideas. But all of Scripture, almost all the stories, they didn't know the Christian faith that was simply an individual endeavor. Yes, there's aspects of the faith, certainly, that are meant to be lived out by ourselves as individuals. But so much, I would even say a majority, a high percentage of the Christian faith is meant to be lived out in community. It just doesn't work. For example, like the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, that's something that God wants to work in our individual heart and soul. And yet, the expression of those gifts have to be done with one another. In scriptures, there's this idea of one another. Pray for one another. Carry one another's burdens. This idea, yes, God is forming and shaping and healing and restoring our character and who we are, and yet it's not meant to stop there. He wants to teach us about love, and a crucial aspect of how he teaches us about love is how we love one another. Think about the gifts of the Spirit. That so often those gifts, yes, he works and fans into flames those gifts in our lives. And yet, if we don't do it in community, there's a lack. There's an only so far we can go with those, those gifts. I was talking with a friend who was really wrestling in his faith. And he decided to, lives out of state, decided to stop attending church. And he said, I'm just going to pursue the faith like by myself, and I said, hey, you are a gifted guy. Do you realize you're depriving your community of faith of the gifts that God has given you? I don't think that's the way of Jesus. And you're meant to get through this difficult time in your faith that you're in with the gifts and the fruit that God has given others. Jesus has done this very interesting thing. He gives us all these gifts for life and ministry, and yet he never gives any one individual all the gifts. 
In fact, he was the only one who walked with all the gifts. He wants us to be a body. Some are gifted in this way and that, and we have to be in community to enjoy those gifts. We've been talking about healing ministry, carry the mat, the healing ministry of Jesus and his church. And healing ministry is one of those aspects of the Christian faith that really is meant to be done in community. And we wanted to take a Sunday as we we think and pray and long for healing ministry and the miraculous to take place in our midst. We've got to talk about the power of community in terms of healing ministry. Yes, people can be healed on their own. There's stories of people praying on their own and being healed, of course, but that's not meant to be the norm. In fact, the norm is meant is that in community, our place, our gathering together is where we're experiencing the presence and power of God and being restored and healed and renewed in community. So this morning, we're going to look at a story not from the life and ministry of Jesus. As we've been doing, we're going to look at a story from the early church of healing happening in community. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 8? And I wanted to uh, share a little bit of context about Acts chapter 8. So the church was in its infant stage at this point, primarily in Jerusalem, and they really only primarily understood salvation and Christ as Messiah for the Jewish people. They were unsure of if this salvation, this message of the kingdom of God and kingdom life was for people beyond uh, those who were Jewish. But they were having so much success and favor from God that persecution happens in Jerusalem and we're told persecution breaks out and the church is scattered. The apostles remain in Jerusalem But many of the others are scattered, and we're told, to Samaria and Judea. And so we pick up the story, Acts 8 picks up the story of being scattered in the persecution, and we follow this individual named Philip. Philip was not one of the original 12 apostles. He's one of the leaders, an early deacon, we're told, but he... Uh, flees Jerusalem and goes to Samaria. And in verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I love that. I, I hope that I'm those of those people that whether it's because of persecution or because of travel, I preach the word wherever I go. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine a a city that's hearing the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God. They're seeing many of them with their ailments, like the ministry of Jesus. They're coming to Philip, and demons are being driven out. There's great freedom, healing, and restoration, great joy in the city. We're told of a little uh, of a story of an individual named Simon. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. That's quite a title, the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Simon himself, Simon the magician, believed and was baptized and followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Apparently, Simon, the great power of God, began to see a greater power at work in his midst. And he started to follow Philip. Now, we're going to read the rest of the story, but what is going to happen is that this was the first time the gospel was moving to um, Samaria. And Samaria was known as kind of Jewish. In fact, they were considered half-breeds. They had some Jewishness in them, and yet they had imported, um, they exiled Jews and brought in others from other nations. And so there was a, a mixture, mixed race. So there was great hatred and prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans because the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. Even the Christian Jews, the apostles, were unsure if the gospel of the kingdom was for the Samaritans. So they're going to send, they hear about the work back in Jerusalem, they hear about what Philip is doing, and they're going to send Peter and John, the apostles, to check out the ministry. They're going to bless the ministry, but they're going to also evaluate the ministry. And what I want you to pay attention to as we read the rest of the story is how the apostles must have seen the ministry in Samaria and the, I don't know if correction is the right word, but maybe fullness is the right word. They see it, and they bless it, and then in essence they say, there's more. And I want you to pay attention as we read, is that more, how they evaluate and see the ministry, and how they seek to add to it and bring a fullness. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read a little bit extra with, with Simon. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon is very young in his faith. He is played with a lot of power and he wants this for wrong reasons, and Peter is going to confront him very harshly and strongly. Verse 20, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Remember that phrase, the gift of God. Simon thought he could buy the gift of God. The laying on of hands, the giving of the Spirit with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Simon's heart was not right. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that you may forgive, that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He was still locked up despite the ministry of Philip. All right. So this passage for a long time was, was very confusing to me. It didn't make sense. I didn't understand the emphasis that the apostles brought to this mission in Samaria. And, and so the best way that I, I've been able to kind of wrap my mind and understand and see what the Lord has for me and for us is I want to ask you and, and look at two convictions and beliefs that the apostles had regarding the ministry, specifically the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
and then we'll unpack and see what he has for us. This is the first conviction or belief on the apostles' part, is that the, the only way that I can understand these passages of Scripture, this story, is that they believed that the presence of the Spirit of God was something different than the power of the Spirit. I repeat that. They had this conviction that the presence of the Spirit was something different than the power of the Spirit. We don't have to be either presence folks or power folks. That the gospel message, the ministry of the gospel, includes both the presence and the power. Let's unpack this question, uh, this scripture with a few questions. I like to do that. All right, first question is this. When Peter and John arrive in Samaria, were the Samaritans that had followed Philip Christians? A few of you in this small room, I have no feedback via live stream. So were they, when the apostles arrive, were they Christians? We have a yes, and that is correct. No free cup of coffee because you've been with me. Verse 12, look at verse 12. That they believed Philip. They were baptized with water. They became Christians. They believed. They were following. Okay? Pretty clear. Yes? Second question. If Peter and John believed that the Samaritans were Christians and had received Christ, then do you think the apostles believed that they had received the Spirit of God? It's a little bit harder of a question. Uh, all right. That's a good question, right? Now, let's back up for a moment. Now, Peter and John, I believe, were like Paul and believed that in the experience of the Christian faith meant to become a Christian is to receive the Holy Spirit. For example, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8, 9, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Pretty clear, right? And, and John himself, the apostle, would write the, the gospel of John, John's gospel, and he'd tell the story of John 3, uh, of Jesus and Nicodemus, and talking about what it means to be born again. And Jesus was very clear. He says, you were born physically once, but you have to be born of the Spirit of God. In fact, he defines for us in that interaction with Nicodemus what it means to become a Christian. To become a Christian, when you ask Christ into your life, this incredible thing happens. The Spirit of the living God enters your soul and gives life to your little spirit. And you are born physically from your mom spiritually from your heavenly Father. The Spirit of God gives life to your spirit within. That is salvation. That is how you are a Christian. They would have believed that. John would record the story with Nicodemus. They would have shared that conviction with the Apostle Paul. So they see the Samaritans. They know they've become Christians. So here's the million-dollar question if they believed that they were Christians and therefore had the Spirit of Christ in them, then why would they lay hands on them to receive the Spirit? This is worthy of a cup of coffee. A little bit. Yeah? If you've answered it, go get an extra cup of coffee this morning from your kitchen. All right? Here's, here's the idea. I tried to make it Simple for you, is thinking in the context of the presence of the Spirit, which is salvation, which is the Spirit within, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And yet, 
there's another dynamic of the Spirit that is so crucial to the faith. That's not about actually salvation and being born again. The Samaritans had that. It's about power. And they're saying that that this power is a crucial aspect of the Christian faith. Remember, these are the apostles who walked with Jesus and experienced Jesus. So they're going to this new mission and they're wanting to say and see a fullness in this ministry. They weren't talking about the presence of the Spirit and salvation. They had that. What they were talking about was the power of the Spirit, or you can see it in the language of Scripture, the Spirit upon. Now, some would argue that this is a special circumstance. I would disagree primarily for this reason is you see these two aspects, primary aspects of the Holy Spirit, presence of spirit, spirit within, power of spirit, power uh, spirit upon, you see them in the Old Testament. You see this dynamic. You see this dynamic in the life of Jesus. You see this dynamic in the life of the apostles in the Gospels and in Acts. Pentecost is not about salvation. The apostles were already saved at that moment. They already had the Spirit within. Jesus told us specifically that Pentecost was about power, Spirit upon. We see this affirmed in the book of Acts. We see this in the epistles. We see this as held and supported and taught throughout Scripture. If it's taught throughout Scripture, then we better pay attention and then see how it uh, affects our lives. All right. Um, One example I just wanted to give you because I think it's a neat story. It's going to happen just a few chapters away from chapter 8. So again, I reminded you, you, you saw the... The Samaritans were were only partly Jewish. The the apostles still were unsure if if the church and salvation was for all the world, including pagans, Gentiles, with no Jewish blood in them whatsoever. Well, that's the story of Acts. They move beyond, and uh, through visions and dreams and supernatural work, Peter is called to a Gentile home of Cornelius. And even though he's reluctant, because he's going into a Gentile home that was a a no-go from his Jewish roots, he goes in there and Cornelius has gathered his whole family and Peter starts to preach the gospel. Peter doesn't even get to an invitation to receive Christ. I think he was just warming up. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls on Cornelius and his gathered family and friends. And they they start worshiping, and you see some of the gifts of the Spirit coming out, and Peter stops preaching, and he had Jews that were with him, and they're like, what is happening? It's a neat story because it's contrast to our present story in Acts 8, that in Acts 8, you see the presence of the Spirit and salvation come first, and then the power through Peter and John. In the Cornelius story, you see the power come. And so what Peter concludes is, if the power has come, and I didn't even get a chance to invite them to receive Christ, then they must be Christians. So we should baptize them with water. In fact, he says this in verse 47 of chapter 10. He says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. He's talking about Pentecost. Now the story goes on. Peter goes back to Jerusalem and some of the leaders in Jerusalem are like upset with him because he baptized full-on non-Jews. He baptized Gentiles. And listen to the defense that Peter gives for why he baptized with water the Gentiles. He says, he tells the story, 
as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on, came upon, talking about power, them as he had come on us at the beginning, talking about Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, John the Baptist, but you will baptize, uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift, there's that word gift again, that same gift, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power upon, last week we talked about same power, this week we're talking about same gift. It's actually the same thing. The same gift, the gift of the power of the Spirit. That same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Peter was saying, presence and salvation and water baptism. I'm just seeing God gave them the Spirit upon that gift of the Father that was promised that we experienced. They must have had salvation. Now part of what the Lord, the Spirit of God, was teaching the church that was so crucial is that we're called to be, we've used this naturally supernatural people, we are called to walk in both presence and power of the Spirit. Now listen here. Why I'm going over this in such detail is because we're talking about the healing ministry of Jesus. Who remembers last week when the woman who was bleeding, she touched the, the, the cloak of Jesus, and what happened? You remember? She was healed, yes. But how was she healed, Natalie? Yes, no cup of coffee for Luke, but a cup of coffee for Natalie. Power... Power went from Jesus into this woman, and then she was healed. So we understand this dynamic that Jesus had the power of the Spirit, that same Spirit, and when, when he was healing people, power, divine power, would go from him to others, and that brought their healing. Friends, if we want to see miracles happen, if we want to be a community that is experiencing healing, we have to talk about this idea of power. We have to be powered of the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest, if we're not filled with the power of the Spirit, then when we pray for folks, there will be no power to go from us, his church, to others. If I have, no matter how many times, look at I, oh, I've deprived myself of water so I could do this. If the cup is empty, no matter how many times we sip, nothing. What we see in Jesus' life is Jesus was filling and being filled again and again with the power of the Spirit. So if someone even just touched his cloak, water would come out. We're called to be naturally supernatural people filled with the presence of God and the power of God so that in community we might drink. Now, um, I want to, I want to, for you, a neat part of our series has been hearing testimonies. And uh, many of you will remember that within the last several years we've planted two churches and one of those churches was led uh, by Sean Shunk, who is our youth director. And um, he, their church now uh, is being led by another leader that was a part of youth ministry, Dustin. And he has um, started a new ministry called Encounter Global Missions, which is quite exciting. He's connecting with seven or eight churches. They're in four different nations. They're training, they're equipping, they're empowering. 
to do ministry, they're focused on the, the power aspect of the ministry. And I wanted us to take a few moments to hear from Sean, and I asked him to tell a few stories about healing and restoration. Hey, Sean. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. Good. Hey, thanks for being willing to take a, a few moments and share a little bit of testimony. So, Sean, would you tell us, you've been in ministry for a long, long time. Yes, sir. Would you tell us kind of maybe a, a key story when you were like, oh, so this Christian life is in part including God's power and work and gifts uh, for life and ministry today. Could, could you tell us an early story where that kind of sure. hits you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, just reading the, the word as a young Christian was, um, I, I was just so stunned by the difference of what I saw in particular in Acts and in the Gospels compared to what I saw in church on Sunday morning. Uh -huh. And it disturbed me. You know, I, I was a 17-year-old, uh, you know, young young guy trying to talk to pastors and I, I had no idea what I was doing or why they were so offended when I'd go in and ask them, how come we don't see this in our church on a Sunday morning? <laughs> um, uh -huh. But I was just innocent of heart. And I just, I, you know, the Lord, if anything, gave me some amount of faith to believe that if it happened, then it could happen today. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I think the confusing thing, Eric, was that I felt like you had to be an all-star Christian back then. You had to be, you know, one of the famous guys. You had to be the, or one of the lead guys. And um, so I started praying, God, make me one of the famous guys, mm. which wasn't the right prayer. Uh -huh. And, you know, it took a couple of years for the Lord to change that prayer to, God, I'm, I'm a normal guy, but you can use me if you want to. Huh. And, and it was around that time when that prayer changed that uh, I started seeing some things happen. Uh, there's a, a young boy, and you know, a lot of folks have heard this story at SCC, but there's a young boy at, at the, the missionary school I was at that came in, like Boy Scouts, and uh, he had a terrible soccer accident. Somebody uh, ran into his knee um, and bent it completely backwards while he was planted. And so huh. he, had, he had pins in there, he couldn't walk. He was very sad, very depressed, and, and the Lord really, you know, shined a light on him to me. It's like, you got to talk to this kid. And uh, so I did. And I asked him if, if he thought God wanted to heal him. And he said, yes. And so, uh, and then I was like, well, you know, do you think he wants to heal you right now? And the kid's like, yeah, uh, it, it was scary. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. Cause I'm like, well, now I'm stuck. You know, I have to do something about it. But I prayed probably the weakest prayer of of healing I've ever prayed over somebody. Uh -huh. um, but let me tell you what, what I've learned from, from that moment on is, is that it's the moment of faith after the to try it out, do it. And with this kid, I, I mean, crazy, there are pins in his knee, uh -huh. medically, scientifically, no way this kid can bend his leg. And right there, I'm 19 years old, me, him, his fellow classmates, the kid bends his knee, starts screaming, jumping, running, you know, just, hollering all over this building where like some of my fellow classmates and stuff are coming out of the rooms, like what's going on. And it was just so overwhelming because I felt so plain. I felt so ordinary. I felt uh -huh. so normal. And yet God radically healed this kid's knee from not even being able to bend it, not being able to walk to going back to playing soccer, running with his friends, completely changed his life. This kid, when I, when I, uh, you know, visit with folks who are a part of that, uh, school this kid to that day remains a, a friend and a partner and he's a, he's all grown up now but uh huh. he would keep coming back he would keep encouraging you keep telling that testimony over and over again it's phenomenal and so awesome. then i started believing it a little bit yeah it's just simple little things i remember a, a gal just maybe a month later complaining about a migraine and so i i said well let me pray for you and she she took her glasses off just like this so that i could lay hands on the front of her head that's where her head was hurting so I lay hands on her and I pray and I ask her, how's your headache? And she's like, oh, I, I can't really tell. And she puts her glasses back on and then she, she does one of these things. She goes, takes them off again, puts them back on, takes them off. And she's like, my, 
I can see without my glasses. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so, so I didn't even pray the right prayer. I knew nothing about the eyes, <laughs> what was going on, but not only did God take away the headaches, but she, she couldn't wear her glasses anymore because God healed her vision, which ultimately ended up being why she was having the headaches. So wow. it's amazing how God will use really simple faith of very ordinary, plain people mm. Do things that they aren't even. It goes so far beyond what I was even. I was just going to be amazed if a simple little headache went away, mm-hmm. which I know a few little tablets of Advil will do, right? But God did so much more through just a simple obedience from a very, very, very ordinary young man. I love that testimony, Sean. I mean, because I think that's a mindset. I've been talking about mindset with folks, and a yeah. mindset is. I have to reach a particular level of spirituality until God, and then God will start using me when in fact your mindset, he really switched that and said, no, 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 I'm looking for ordinary people that will, I can do extraordinary things through. Right. Now, yeah, not, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I know part of your passion when you were the, the youth director here at SEC was just that uh, it wasn't just you that was was seeing the the miraculous people being filled with the spirit, people being healed, but your heart and dream was not only would you have a team uh, of lay leaders, but also that the actual students would be participating in that uh, uh, prayer and ministry. Can you share a, a story where perhaps you saw the students that were learning some of this. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it became such a, a driving passion for me that whenever we would do uh, mission trips, I would stay in the van and make them go. Um, I wouldn't go to the doors. You know, we'd do a lot of door-to-door evangelism. And the, the idea, I would just train them up real simply. You go to the door, you say, hey, we're, we're walking around, you know, loving on this community because Jesus loves it. Uh, and all we want to know is how can we pray for you today? And, uh, you know, we had 13, 14, 15 year olds doing this, uh, going in groups of two or three and I would stay in the van. So I couldn't do that crutch because I noticed I'd go to the door with them and then it would be time to like use the, the phrase and they'd all look at me like, okay, <laughs> go for a super Christian, which just isn't uh-huh. true, you know? So, um, imagine getting a, a doorbell ring at, at your door. And this is what happened in Raton, New Mexico. And you're using crutches to come to the door because you have a broken foot and you open the door and there's three teenage kids there, one boy, two girls. Uh, I think the oldest one was 16 at the time. And they say, you know, how can we pray for you? Obviously there's something wrong with your foot. And uh, she says, yeah, you can pray for me. I have a broken foot and it hadn't yet been casted. And uh, you know, one of the, the high school boys actually laid hands on the foot while the other two, two gals laid hands on her shoulders and prayed for her. I wasn't even there. I I got to hear this testimony after, but what's so incredible is while they prayed for her, the, the boy who had his hand on her foot felt the bone move. And the, the other two girls that were praying got to see the, see that take place as well. And they were all in unison in their story that not only did this gals, uh, you know, did they feel the bone move? They actually literally saw bones readjusting inside of her foot while they were praying for them. And I think it's just like God to use, God would rather use a 16-year-old boy than a, a lead pastor of a church or a mega church pastor to do it because it just shows his character. And it shows so much that we're a nation of priests. There's, there's nobody. God's not a respecter of men. If you'll use Peter at the, the beautiful gate with the, the, the uh, beggar there, uh, he would use us in the same way, which is what I love about the kingdom of God and the, the time that we're in now. Everybody gets to play. The least shall be first. Uh, yeah. Okay. Love, love, love those testimonies. And it directly relates to the final conviction on the apostles' part that I wanted to direct your attention to. And that final conviction is this. The, the apostles believed that the presence and the power of the Spirit was for everyone who believes? Let's ask a few more questions of the text. Was the ministry of the power of the Spirit happening in Samaria? When, when Peter and, and 
uh, John arrive in Samaria, did they see the power side of the Spirit happening? All right, no free cup of coffee. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. It says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Was there power ministry happening in Samaria? Absolutely. So what were Peter and John like talking about? The power was there. It was happening. They should have just been, yeah. Huh? Yes. What was happening? is Philip was doing the stuff. The people were not. And the apostles said, that's not enough. No, this isn't just for leaders. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for elders. It's for the ordinary people. This is the ordinary part of the faith. It's for everyone, even you Samaritans who were unsure, you're, you're half-breeds and you're just starting. But, but this power, yes, salvation is for everyone, but the power is for everyone. It's not just for folks like Sean. It's for the 17-year-old high school boys that have enough faith to believe and to pray that this is for everyone. You heard at the end of the testimony, everybody gets to play. It's not just the leaders. Friends, the, the power aspect of the Spirit of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit upon is for you, no matter who you are, how old you are. It's for you. Peter shares that. The first time he ever preaches the gospel is right after Pentecost that we've been talking about. And, and people, uh, Jews from all over the known world come to, to the Feast of Pentecost and they, they see the baptism of the Spirit. They see Pentecost happening in the midst of the disciples. And, and Peter preaches the gospel and he shares the good news and they're so convicted. He, they say, what must we do? And listen to Peter's response to what they, when they ask, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized with water, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, sin, of your sins. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about being born again. He's saying you can repent and ask Christ in the Spirit of God. Remember Nicodemus, the Spirit of God enters into our soul and gives life to our spirit. That's salvation. Our sins are forgiven and wiped out. And he goes on. And, and you will receive the gift. We've seen the gift referred to a few times, haven't we? What's the gift? The gift is about the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift, the same gift that the apostles received and the disciples received at Pentecost, the same gift that the Samaritans received from the hands, laying out of hands of, of Peter and John, the same gift that Cornelius and his household would receive. He says this same gift is the promise. The gift is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Look at your neighbor and say, same gift for you and your children. I don't have any children. Well, if you do, it's for them. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your, 
your economic standing. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. The same gift is for you. The presence and salvation is for you, but also the power is for you. That we are called to be a naturally supernatural community, not just people or persons, but we're called to be a naturally supernatural community. Presence and power is how we are to relate to one another. That in our relationships, the presence of the Spirit should be there. That's part of being sacred friends. In our relationship with one another, the power of the Spirit should be there. When, when James says this, James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. He's saying that and he's instructing us with the assumption that the apostles had. That part of their community is the presence and the power of the Spirit. Boy, if we were a community of presence and power. I think we see more and more of the healing and restoration of God. Miraculous healing and restoration. So here's how I'd like to end our, our, our service today. I want to invite the, the worship team to come forward and I want to Read this scripture. I don't think we have it on the screens for you, but you might want to write it down to, to reflect on it later this week. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Paul, this is a letter to Timothy, and, and Timothy is uh, the son of Paul in the faith, the spiritual son. Paul is the spiritual father, and he's encouraging him. And listen to what he says. He says, to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. The gift of God. David, way to rob me of that moment. I'm going to read that again. Um, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame what? The gift of God. We recognize now what the gift of God, what the apostles are talking about. Are they talking about the presence of the, salva uh, of the Spirit and salvation? No, consistently the gift that the Father promised, the gift that they're talking about is the power of the Spirit. Life and ministry lived in the power, the gift of God. And Paul goes on, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He experienced, Timothy experienced the, the laying on of hands of a leader and he received the gift of God. For the Spirit of God gave, uh, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love, and self-discipline. I want to suggest that many of us have the power, whether we call it this or not, have the gift of the Spirit, that we have been empowered. But what is he saying to Tim Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, you know, part of the Christian life is fanning into flames the gift that God has given you. That, that the aspect of power, just as, as Jesus' power would leave from him, he would have to go to lonely places and pray and be filled again. He would fill the cup. So then when he was spilled, I put water in it so I can't spill it now. 
He would fill the cup with the divine power of the one true living God. And then when the apostles would tip their cup, people would be healed. Paul was saying to Timothy, would you, would you fan into flames? Imagine these embers if you've ever had a campfire and the embers are low and they're, they're getting low. You've got to add some wood. You've got to add some twigs. You've got to... You have to fan into flames this gift, the power of the Spirit. So the best we can via live stream, I want to pray for you that you'd be filled. Paul says another place, Ephesians 5, 17, 18, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. How do you get drunk on wine? Well, you keep drinking. Which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if you would just close your eyes. And if you're comfortable, you should be here in your living room. Just open your hands. So Lord, we hear the scriptures. We hear what you're saying, that, that, that this gift of the, the power of the Spirit is even for ordinary people like us. Lord, we want to live this life that you died for us to have. We want to live a life of presence, your presence in our lives. We want to live a life of power in our lives. Lord, would you fill us up this morning? Lord, would you fan into flames this gift that you have given us? Lord, if we've never received the gift of power, I pray for a fresh infilling of your spirit. That you would fill and baptize people in your spirit for that power. And for those of us who are dry and weary and feel empty of your power, Lord, would you bring a fresh infilling of your spirit. Would you fill us up from the, the soles of our feet to the tops of our head, to the depths of our soul, Lord God? Would you fill us and empower us, Lord God? And would you direct us and guide us as we pray for healing and restoration? Would you pour out power from us that we might join you in your work of healing and restoration today. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus.